Hello, all of you, and welcome to Grace Baptist Cartersville podcast. Before I turn it over to Pastor Kyle, Hi there. Welcome back to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. If you would like more information on Grace Baptist Church here in Cartersville, Georgia, please follow us on Facebook. Find us on Instagram. You can see our full services live on YouTube as well. If you've got any questions, feel free to email me, Pastor Kyle, at Kyle, K-Y-L-E, at gracecartersville.com. Let's go ahead and get down to it. We are down to our last few weeks in the book of James. And from some of the comments that I've gotten, bless your hearts, some of you are ready for James to hit the road. Not that it's a bad book of the Bible, not that you haven't enjoyed it so much, but because, well, the toes have been stepped on. And I can't say that I blame you because my toes have been stepped on just as much, I promise. But let's remember, it's a good thing when this happens. Our theme for this entire series is making sure that we are putting our faith to work. Some of us, we may all be realizing that our faith hasn't worked like it should, but that's what we've been called to do. Faith comes by hearing the word, and then we are to be doers of the word. Last week, James drilled home the problems, some of the problems that come from within the church, our divided lines, the hills that we decide to die on. Yet James is appalled that we've allowed pride to take up such real estate while laying aside the true missions of the church. But in the second part of the text that we covered, we do come to the realization that God gives greater grace. Despite how silly we are at times, he gives grace to the humble. And the humble are the ones that submit to God. The humble resist the devil. The humble continuously cleanse through repentance. The humble are anguished by their sin. And they do not criticize, but build up other believers. And that brings us up to today. Following the trend of prideful talk, we read about the terms and conditions that apply to our faith. And that is our title for today. In almost everything that we read or find online, we know that there is some type of an agreement that we must click on to go further. All the way down to paying your bills online, we agree to terms and conditions. We must prove first that we're not a robot. Then we've got to click on all of these pictures and find the bicycles. And is it a bicycle or is it a motorcycle? If I click on this, will it work? Will it not? And then on top of it, we've got to remember tens of thousands of passwords. And just like you possibly, I forget all of those as well. Did I use an S here? Did I use a dollar sign? Did I use 27? Did I use 28? Did I use a different number altogether? I don't know. But let's be honest with one another. It's just us here, just you and me. But nobody reads those terms and conditions. Uh, There may not be a time on earth where more believers lie than when you have to click on the button, did you read and do you accept all of these terms and conditions? We could literally be signing our life away, and yet because it's 500 pages long, you and I both know that we're going to skip on down to the bottom click the bottom, check it off, and move on. I even found an article, I was doing some research on this, from The Guardian, not a place that I visit often, but they took uh, an article about five years ago of a special, almost experiment that they took. They created a false social media website. 
and they targeted a certain age group of people, certain people groups, and invited them to sign up. And as the people did sign up, their terms and conditions included that the person who is signing up uh, must give over the rights to their firstborn child. Wow. People say they read it, but they didn't. Nobody really looked at it, and people were essentially scammed by it, but it was just to prove a point. Now, for today, we're going to make the comparison for James chapter 4, thir- verses 13 through 17. This is some of James's fine print, something that maybe we would look over if we weren't looking carefully. It's James's terms and conditions that apply to our lives in faith. It's just a few snippets for us to remember and be mindful. Let's read it together. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil, so it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, just a handful of verses here, easy to look over, easy to cast aside, but such important truth and such important benefits for us in our life as we surrender to you. We need you, Lord. Guide us as we go through this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Looking back at verse 13, James has done this a few times, but he begins this segment with a little bit of a smack upside the head. Come now. It's a nice way of saying, what are you doing, you knucklehead? James is calling out those that plan their entire lives, how much money they're going to make. The type of person that James is actually referring to here would be a sea merchant going around the Mediterranean, hopping from one place to the other and basing their entire business model on this travel. Now, we've all done this knowingly or unknowingly. We make plans. We plan our future, our first and second million bucks that we're going to get But God is nowhere near the plans. James gives us a subtle reminder that we like to make plans for tomorrow, and yet we don't even know that tomorrow is going to happen. We are aware of this enough that we mention it, but again, like so many other Christian quotes and sayings, it's almost become cliché. Now, understand clearly from these two verses, the problem is not with making plans themselves. We've said previously that God honors planning. He honors order and preparation. The problem is leaving God out of the planning process and putting him on the sidelines. Usually, that's about the time that God steps in and begins laughing at us, right? Now, from my own experience, some of you, enough of you may know that From the time that I saw the Atlanta Braves in the 1995 World Series, that was my plan. I want to do that. And just about every move that I made from there on through high school was geared towards reaching that goal. And my parents, God love them, they never allowed me to get distracted from that goal. They encouraged me. They did not want to... uh, 
they did not want to be a burden or a stumbling block for my plans or my goals. They said, listen, that's great. If this is your primary goal, that's awesome. But you could also go ahead and set some secondary goals in the process. This was their subtle way of making sure that my grades were good. Let's be honest. Be prepared to go to school and then think about what you want to do if baseball doesn't quite work out. Plan for two plans and then see where you go from there. Now, every bit of this takes place before I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, before I'm a follower. So then I do become a believer And what happens? Here's what my attitude is. It's not, okay, God, let me surrender to your plan. My idea was, okay, God, I've got this plan. Let me hang on to it because it is my plan. And here's where the bargaining comes in because it's always a great idea to bargain with God. But it's, Lord, I truly believe that I've surrendered to you. Now you come along with my plans and God, you'll be the one to benefit from it too if I walk down this path. Now we know that's not how it works, but that was my thought process. Now all the while as the Holy Spirit is developing in me, I do believe that I truly at a young age had a calling to serve people. And that's where that secondary option of teaching and coaching Seemed natural, seemed to fall right into this line of planning, and teaching and coaching was just enough motivation for me to keep my grades up and also to make sure that it didn't interfere with the rest of my baseball. And then I get to college. And folks, sometimes college has a way of humbling you. I didn't pitch well. I didn't play well. I knew at the end of college that the door to baseball was closed. Now, to speed up the story... I can look back and see that baseball had to be taken away from me. I needed to go into education. I needed to become a teacher so that I could be prepared for ministry. And now the fine people of Grace Baptist Church, bless their hearts, they're stuck with me. That's where I am. But back to the point that James is making, we shouldn't be so concerned with our long-term plans when we are not even promised to be here tomorrow. When we take the time to actually weigh that less than 24 hours from the time that you're listening to this, many of us could no longer be on the face of the earth. It's intended to take us down a few pegs. It's supposed to sober us up into the thought that there's only one who does indeed have the knowledge of tomorrow. To paraphrase Charles Spurgeon again, he preached that when you consider all the various ways that a person can die, it's more of a wonder that man can ever live at all. Jesus brings the fragility of life into play in Luke chapter 12. He says, then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is Jesus' way of bringing a few things to light. One, don't be greedy so far as to become content and satisfied with stuff. 
Second thing Jesus means is the man made all these elaborate plans and his life was ended that very night. Third, the point Jesus is getting across. Who is it that you're making plans for? Jesus uses the parable that the man was storing up for himself. James says instead that we should make plans with the mindset of if the Lord wills it. He's expressing that the terms and conditions on our life should come from what the Lord says and not what we say. The terms should be on God and not on us. What happens as a result? We make plans, God laughs, and then He shatters our plans. Maybe even some good comes from our plans, but that doesn't mean that it was God's will to begin with. Too often we don't think of this as a sin. We get so caught up in our busyness that God is completely left out of the equation. Remember, we can sin by commission, committing an act, but then just as much we sin by omission, leaving something out as well. Think back to last week how James accused his readers of not taking sin serious enough. They laughed shrugged off their sin, and brothers and sisters, you and I often laugh and shrug off that God is not part of our plans. He's an afterthought, and we'd rather ask His blessings after the planning, and then we can't quite figure out why our plans didn't work in the first place. James says that these symptoms are us boasting in our arrogance, and such boasting is considered evil. How deeply rooted Is this evil in our sin nature? We can become so blind to sin, we don't even know that it's present. In realigning our mindset, readjusting what it means to be doers of the word, let's take a look at what some of the terms and conditions of our life that look like, terms and conditions to our life that we need to apply to our walk with the Lord. So the first part of that, We've got to ask ourselves, where is God? What is our process? Do we truly, as families, as individuals, seek to hear from the Lord before we make long-term decisions? Do we truly trust the Lord to establish our ways and make our path straight? Or is God on the back burner until something goes wrong? What peace have you received because of your decisions? What confirmation has taken place? Or what doors have been closed, preventing us from furthering our plans? Indeed, God loves preparation. But the merchant example given by James says, where we will travel, how long we will stay, how much prosperity the plans that he has will have. And then he'll say that he does it all by himself because God had nothing to do with it. We make our plans. And then again, we do not understand how they could be so destined to fail when they were faulty from the very beginning. So to piggyback on the first term, the second term is an encouragement. Hold our plans loosely. We plan, we plan accordingly. We have multiple plans, and then we shouldn't be surprised when God changes them. Our words, our goals, and our plans must be secondary to what the Lord may have intended for us. We get swayed too often and we allow ourselves to be tossed and turned when our consumer mindset is flipped on its head by the Lord and we can't figure out at times that the Lord may have something better for us. Seldom do we recognize that the Lord is working when we're too upset about not getting our way. 
Great example of this from Paul, the greatest evangelist that ever lived, someone who seems to always be in tune with the Holy Spirit. He fell into this trap as well. Look at Acts chapter 16. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they came to Mycenae, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Paul Whenever he sees a vision in the book of Acts, something to read into, something to notice. Whenever he sees a vision, it's to knock him back in line. It means that he's gotten off course and God is bringing him back on course. What was Paul's plan? Think about it. It was to go into new regions of the world to share the gospel. He was preparing to do the work for the Lord. Best intentions were implied, but it did not mean that the timing or the plan was correct according to the Lord. So God shut the door. It's Paul in these chapters that had to get back to the basics, that had to listen to what God was saying and get back in line with the will of God. We've got to hold our plans loosely and be prepared to do the same thing. Again, on a similar note, third thing, we've got to be flexible. And here's what I mean by being flexible. If we truly have the heart to say, if the Lord wills it, be ready to roll with the punches. Be prepared to face opposition. Also, be able to recognize the difference in opposition. What it means and we should strive forward, but then also opposition that means we should back off. I'll give you an example. Prior to being the pastor at Grace Baptist, I was a student pastor for five years. And in 2018-2019, we decided to change the way that we were going to do our traditional summer camp. We wanted it to be more missions focused. It was camp, but our emphasis was having students being equipped to share the gospel and maybe sharing their faith for the first time with someone else. Now, traveling far from home, going into a society or an area that you're unfamiliar with, these were some of the things that we dealt with in opposition some of the most infected and worst ant bites that I've ever seen, wild dog attacks and dog bites, tree limbs nearly falling on students and putting them in the hospital, jellyfish stings in the ocean, near drowning experiences in the same ocean, sun poisoning, lice infestations, me being in a giant commercial kitchen trying to wash out people's hair laid over these giant tubs and giant sinks uh, with these special lice medication on them to clear up as much of it as we could. There were plenty of opportunities during these weeks at a time that myself and my adult volunteer team wanted to wave the white flag and cry uncle. Not to show any disrespect to those that have served, but my volunteers literally began referring to these weeks as their own versions of Vietnam. Okay, But what happened? 
Over the course of these two separate weeks and two different experiences, there were over 20 students that shared the gospel, shared their faith for the first time. We knew it'd be rough, and it was. We knew there would be spiritual opposition, and there was plenty. We were able to persevere. God was glorified. We had to remain flexible in our obedience. Fourth thing, humility does good. In verses 16 and 17, James cuts to the quick that arrogance is evil. The arrogance of leaving the Lord out of our plans is wickedness. So let's briefly look at the opposite viewpoint. If arrogance brings about evil, then we know that humility will bring good. But let's clarify. When I say good, I don't mean that good things will happen to you. What I do mean is obedience is humility. Obedience in humility to the Lord pleases the Lord, and that's good enough. Here is Psalm 123. Here's what our attitude should look like. I lift my eyes to you, the one enthroned in heaven, like a servant's eyes on his master's hand, like a servant girl's eyes on her mistress's hand. So our eyes are on the Lord our God until he shows us favor. Show us favor, Lord. Show us favor, for we've had more than enough contempt. We've had more than enough scorn from the arrogant and contempt from the proud. Humility means looking to God first. If he is our provider, we can't try to provide for ourselves. If God is our strength, we must recognize our weakness. If God is our rock, we can't try to stand on other ground. Pausing and reflecting, I want to ask you, when it comes to the terms and conditions of faith, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Again, in these terms that we've said, have you agreed to the terms and conditions to follow Jesus? If not, this is why I'd love for you to reach out and send me an email. If you do so, we can start that conversation, especially if you have questions, what it means for you to have Jesus Christ surrendered in your life for you to surrender your plans to Him and to follow Him. Or maybe you're a believer, and while you do believe in Jesus Christ, you do realize the arrogance of not putting your plans before Him, of not having the humility to go to Him before you make long-term plans. What do we do? We surrender in repentance. Whatever it is, that God is stirring in your heart. Be obedient to follow Him in response today. Let me pray for us. Oh God, short verses, illustrations, but yet lifelong lessons to be learned from it. We want to do things our way, God, because they're comfortable, because we like to be busy. We like to have a false sense of control. And yet, Lord, we have no control. We have no control on today or tomorrow, or even if tomorrow will happen. But we pause and recognize that you do, O oh God. You hold everything in your hand. Father, I pray that we surrender our plans to you, that we surrender our planning process. But also, God, if someone is listening today that has never surrendered their life to you, Pray that they would be obedient to do so. Thank you, God, for your word. 
that brings life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us. Again, if you have questions, reach out through our various uh, measures of social media. Reach out through email. Whatever questions you may have, I would love to have that conversation with you. Our theme at Grace Baptist Church, we love God, we serve others, and we show grace. Go and do the same today. Have a good one.